Welcome to the Crazy Dre Podcast Show, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. This is your main man, a.k.a. Crazy Crocker, a.k.a. Andre's Podcast. Yes, it's me, your friend, your disabled friend. I don't like to focus only on disability, but I did create this podcast for people with disability. I don't do a really great job of promoting uh, disability. I don't want to focus everything about people's inability to use their uh, left hand, right hand, the legs. Uh, it doesn't really work that way. Uh, I just think that uh, people who are somewhat disabled, we are not vocal enough about what the things that we want, the things that we like, the things that we enjoy, those wishes, and the other things that we really see other people pursue in, ha- in their happiness. Uh, I think a lot of people would, uh, who think of people with disability, we're supposed to be happy just to be alive or to exist or just have a friend or a family or whatever. But to to reach our goals and to, to our wants and needs and physical uh, intimacy and all that, that's something that's never really talked about. However, there's just not enough people out there, out there in my life that is disabled. And I, you know, and I could try to find other people with disabilities, but the real key with that is this. Is it really important for someone to be disabled and to pronounce their disability? Is it really important? To somewhat it is. If you're, if you're being uh, discriminated against a workforce or wor- any workplace or uh, any relationship that you want with, a, uh, with your partner, yes, I see that. But to focus everything on your life because you're disabled can be kind of redundant and kind of irritating to other people around you. So I try not to uh, bring that side of me into a negative uh, a plateau. So as you most of you guys know, I do a part. I do a uh, podcast with my buddy Parlay Sean. He's not here. I'm not, I'm not going to wait for him. Um, He's got things to do. This is kind of important to talk about. I know I'm kind of like a day late, dollar short, because of the <coughs> NFC playoff games against Detroit Lions and San Francisco 49ers. So, talking about this 49ers and Detroit game, can we get a compliment to the Detroit Lions organization, to the coaching staff of Detroit, and to the, to the players for getting to the NFC Championship for the first time in that, since 1991. And this is something that, this is like one in a million of lifetime things for people in Detroit or people around within the state of Michigan that their professional football team goes to a championship game. But should we stop there? Should we just say, oh, great, we made it to the playoff? Uh, we had a great year, um, and that's it. And uh, we should uh, just cherish this year as a special year. And then at this point, we should just let the rest of the career of Hutchinson and Gibbs and Montgomery and Jared Goff and, and, um, and Jalen Williams, that they should just be happy that they got there the first time, the only time. But is this really that important? Do we really want to just have one good year? No, of course not. 
This is something that Dan Campbell. This is kind of upsetting to me. What Dan Campbell said. Dan Campbell said, "You know how difficult it is to get to go deep in the playoffs, and this may be our only chance." What does that mean, Dan Campbell, Coach Campbell? Are you just giving up on Detroit because you had one good year, and you're like, "Oh, we got here. We we finally won a, a two playoff games, and we won the wild card game against the Rams, and 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 we beat." We almost beat San Francisco 49ers, but help, that was a pretty good year, and you never know, we may never get back. That sounds like someone that is giving up. And this is something that's very important to understand. If you have a Detroit Lions fan, you do not want that mentality going into the offseason, thinking that this is the only year that you're going to make the playoffs within the next 5 to 20 to 30 years. You have a good team. You have a good establishment. You got a good GM. You got a good head coach. You're going to lose your offense coordinator, Ben Johnson. And you might lose Aaron Glenn, the defense coordinator for the Detroit Lions. But let's look back on this game. Detroit Lions were up 24 to 7. They gave up a 17-point lead within the first part or within the third quarter. And this is something that a young team would probably be kind of starstruck. I was starstruck watching the first half of the Lions game. I was so amazed and so impressed. Like, and they scored in within the first four plays on the first drive. I'm like, what's going on? Great entertainment. Greatest entertainment in the world. Get it. Detroit team, not scared. You know, they're playing out of their just free will moment. And they're just running plays with Jameson uh, Williams. uh, That reverse, uh, double reverse uh, to him. He runs about 42, 52 yards. It was amazing. And they worked in about week 10 to week, I mean, maybe week 14 or 15. It worked. In the week 18 or 17 or 15, it did not work. So that playbook, that play was in the back of the corner of the mind. But to say that Green Bay, I mean, I'm sorry, that Sam Fran, that Sam Fran was not there, not ready for the first half, probably was true. And to be honest with you, Detroit was not ready for the second half. And I don't know who to point the fingers at. Do you point the fingers at a at an offense coordinator that try to do a hail mary uh uh, uh one of those uh reversal run plays and um throws it back to the quarterback to throw a deep pass to Williams? Is it that play call? Was it the timing of the play call? I think it was timing of that play call. They did it twice and did not work. Uh Teams like San Fran are not dumb enough to figure out that they, that Detroit may do that. So I think that was just kind of dumb M. Ben Johnson's idea. I see how he was trying to open up the court, open up the field to get Williams involved. Uh, the defense was kind of on St. Brown, but I thought that Detroit went to St. Brown a little bit too late. Uh, there was a couple incomplete passes. But... 
here is where the momentum change. The momentum on the game change when it's 24 to 7. San Fran moves the ball downfield. And you know what happens? San Fran. We stop him. Detroit stops him from scoring a touchdown. They have to kick a field goal to make it 24-14. Now you're up by 14 points. Okay? So Detroit moves the ball downfield. They get the ball. They get their first possession. They move it all the way up to uh, San Fran's 28-yard line with seven minutes and three seconds left in the third quarter. Now, this is something that's very, this is something that's very crucial. And I wish that, and I wish this is, I think, I wish that when Dan Campbell and Ben Johnson, I wish this was their second rodeo in a playoff game, not the first time they're in a playoff game or a division championship game. And you could tell the experience of the coaching staff was far more inexperienced than you could expect the players to be in their own inexperience. Remember, Detroit only has three players who played seven playoff games, where San Fran has like 72 or 79 players who played in a playoff game. So that whole experience is something that you have to consider it. Have consideration, and as a head coach, as a head coach, you should almost kind of at that point read your players. You got to know your players. You just do. I mean, Campbell may have talked about being grit and being tough and the super alpha personality. We're gonna make things happen. We're going grit. This is about Detroit. Blah blah blah. You know, it works. It works when your team is playing during the season but as you get to the playoffs you don't have that time to recover a loss because you'll be eliminated clearly that's obvious if you don't know how elimination works that's pretty way much way it works i don't know why i had to explain to anybody but it's like no one listens to sports or understands football but i just had to explain it so if you know your team is struggling and guys are starting dropping footballs and, you know, Gibbs, along the way, they, he fumbles a football. You want to slow the game down. So Detroit had a ball on the 28-yard line with seven minutes to go on the fourth down and four or something like that, fourth and seven or something like that. And, and Dan Campbell thought, you got grit. We're going to make a first down. We're going to score a touchdown, and then we'll be up by 21 instead of that 17 again. You're already ahead of the game. You're already ahead. Your team is already winning. You have to keep putting the pressure on Sam Fran. And by going on fourth down and not making it, you, you totally gave the ball back to Sam Fran. And then the momentum of the game totally changed. The fans got involved. The fans got loud. A lot of the Detroit Lions players got very nervous. They were dropping footballs. Uh, uh, Gibbs was on the wrong side when he took the uh, handoff and fumbled the ball. It was all calculated into a way that your team was just not experienced enough in that field. And you, and you can't really, you don't know who's to blame. You don't know if it's the coaching staff to blame or the players to blame. At this point, you should have, I would put the blame on the coaches because you have to understand where you guys are. 
in their brain or in their mindset. You just have to. Okay? So they should have gone for the field goal. And if they went for the field goal, it, it would have been 27 to 10. Now, if it's still 27 to 10, you still are up plus 17. So you're still at the same level of distance from Sam Fran from tying the game or beating you. So you still are putting the pressure on Sam Fran. So, so Gibbs gives up the football, and this is 24-10. And then, of course, they score a touchdown to make it 24-14. No, I'm sorry, 24-17. But this is another mistake that Detroit did, or Mr. Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell went on the second time on fourth down on San Fran's 30-yard line. It was fourth and three. And, and the ball was incomplete pass to St. Brown. Now, St. Brown usually catches everything, and you can't put the pressure on it. Well, you, in some ways, you can't really blame him. I mean, it's, he may have a glitch. Reynolds may have a glitch. It was just one of those things that that happens, but you know, it, but it's important for the coaching staff to not go on fourth and three the second time in the fourth quarter. You just keep the pressure on San Fran and kick the field goal. That's all you had to do. If you kept those field goals, you would have scored six points. Uh, San Fran might have scored a touchdown instead of a, I mean a field goal instead of a touchdown. Uh, the end of the score was 31 to 34. Uh, Detroit scored the last uh, drive of the touchdown. But if you look at, if you take those, if you give Detroit those three points or six points, we would have been up by those, by, by three points. Because I'm assuming what happened is that if you went for the field goal, you still had the, mo the, the momentum of the game. And I, and I can't trust it enough how, you know, Detroit fans, I mean, we've been waiting for 30 years. And I really didn't think that, I really didn't think that we were going to win against San Fran. But, but the way that we went down to San Fran was more disappointing than getting blown out by San Fran. We had the lead. We had everything going. People are uh, just on, on hot wires on Dan Campbell. And I don't know. I really think if Dan Campbell had his second time around, and Dan Campbell said he would have not changed his his mind for the, he would have not changed any of it, of making those play calls going on fourth down. But again, I mean that's what got Detroit there in the first place. But again, you're in the playoffs. You have to read, you have to read the scenario. Toughness is not going to win you games in the playoffs. It's going to be intelligence. It's about playing smart. It's about reading your players and understanding the defense. That's how, you, that's how you're going to win the game. And to tell you the truth, the defense held, held San Fran 24-7. to To seven points. So defense was doing great. They actually held... Uh, McCaffrey under 100 yards and rushing because I made a, a uh, I made an ESPN bet with uh, Sam Brown under 95 yards 
Uh, Jared Goff under two and a half touchdowns. Uh, Pudi under three and a half touchdowns. I just put all those games and I put all those things in the parlay and I won like $99 off that $20 bet. But to be honest with you, that's not even important. I don't even care if I won or lost in those parlays. But to be honest with you, the defense of Detroit was so phenomenal. And unfortunately, of all the times that the defense does their job right, the offense does their job incorrectly. This is the irony of Detroit. In the, in the past with Barry Sanders and Herman Moore and Eric Kramer, and we're not even going to count Scott Mitchell in that, uh, in that field of conversation, but you take that era, you take the Barry Sanders era, you have the greatest offensive running back of all time. You have the second or third greatest quarterback of all time for Detroit, Kramer. Probably is the second or third greatest quarterback. But to be honest with you folks, the Detroit defense did their job right. Did you just, did you put them in the, you get them in the back of the heels and the ball is turned over in the deep Detroit Lions. I mean, and then if the ball is turned over and our fourth downs and then the defense is in the back, I mean, the, the defense, I mean, they're, probably having anxiety attacks and players running back and forth and there's a lot of missed tackles here and there but there's always going to be missed tackles but still think about this the defense in the first half did its job the defense in the second half it was not their fault it was their it was the fault of the offense of of players the offense coordinator i think i would blame the offense coordinator more and I would blame Dan Campbell more. Now, now what? Now where do we go from here? Where do we go from here, folks? We know that Ben Johnson is probably going to be gone. I don't know how you're not going to be able to pay him that much money. I mean, do you pay him more? I don't think you do. I would think you got to let him go. But I mean, unfortunately, I think that you're going to have a problem. The problem is this. Jared Goff. Is Jared Goff worth five years of a contract where you have Hooker, your backup rookie quarterback, in the background? Or do you, I mean, you're going to get a whole different offense. Because if you have Hooker, you can have, you can move Hooker out of the pocket and he'll be your second running back or third running back because you got Gibbs, you got Montgomery. But the ideal thing is this. If you have Hooker, you don't know if he's going to be able to uh, create chemistry with the team, with the players, with Williams, with uh, St. Brown. And it's not to say he won't. I'm just saying sometimes players don't mix real well in in, in the NFL from college football. Okay? So, Jared Goff, is he the guy to take us to a Super Bowl? And he's going to need, well, this is one thing that that they're going to have to consider. If Jared Goff is the quarterback for Detroit for the next five years, you're going to have to find a, a, a offense coordinator that will be able to play or coach within 
Jared Goff's talent. He's not a mobile quarterback. He doesn't want to run out of the pocket unless it's a play action. He's not going to run out of the pocket with pressure. He's going to fold his cards. And that's something, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, that's something that you just have to kind of do. With Jared Goff, you can, you can get to him in the backfield. But Jared Goff, you know, he, he's got a good passing um, uh, teammates. He's got Sam Brown. He's got Williams. And Williams is just going to get Williams is just going to get better and better. He's going to have Reynolds come back. Sam Brown would be there, like I just said. He's got Laporta. He's going to have a whole year off again at recovery. So he's got the players to do that for. But the key is, how much do you want to pay him for? Do you really want to pay him five years? Because if you think about this, this is what you got to really think about. If Detroit has a bad year next year, and let's say their bad year is like, 10 and 6 or 9 and 8 or something like that and they don't make the playoffs and then what's going to happen this is what happened to Barry Sanders and I know I give Barry a lot of crap but I mean what can I say but Barry when players start to leave when the locker room is not fun for certain players like Barry or Gibbs or I mean, it could be Montgomery and Gibbs and Williams or Sam Brown. If the chemistry in the locker room is not good and you already lose Ben Johnson and as a head, as a coordinator, you lose Aaron Glenn to a job in the NFL as well. And then you have Dan Campbell. But if Dan Campbell can't bring in an offense coordinator or the GM just doesn't bring a good offense or defense coordinator, that team loses chemistry because those guys will start to leave. And Sam Brown is a is probably going to be your key element of that team for for Jared Goff. Of course, you got to consider La, uh, Laporta, but Laporta is a rookie, so he's got maybe two or three years left on his contract. So you have to also think about that. So the point of what I'm trying to say is this: if you go with Jared Goff, you have to find an offense coordinator that's able to work with Jared Goff. And that offense coordinator is going to have to listen to the players on the team. If you can get an offense coordinator that is willing to change his ideology, not because he, he's, he's Mr. Norah, but because the team wants a certain plays, this team wants a certain uh, running routes in a certain field a certain way, then that's what you're going to have to do. And to be, and to be honest with you, that's what my, I think that's the understanding of what, why Ben Johnson was so good. Because he would consider listening to his offensive players based on what they want. And that's something that's very key about any type of coach. Any coach. If you're a coach, you can tell your players to do something. Or some stuff like come in, uh, curfew is at this time, practice is this time. Uh, uh, you can almost try to give them some uh, off the field knowledge or in support. And that's what coaches are supposed to do. It's just not all about straight football. But ultimately, the coaches should be listening to his players and adjusting the playbook and certain things on the field 
so that the players actually feel comfortable with changing certain things. So when they, so when the key moment, when a key moment happens where the coaches know better than the players, the players they want to have respect for the coach, and vice versa. If the players see a certain, certain playbook or a certain play that could work, and they run to the offense coordinator, they can make a change. They can the the player. The offense coordinator, like, hey, thank you. I didn't see that. That's what makes a good chemistry team. That's what's going to happen. That's you're not going to have a Barry Sanders where you, where you're going to have that raw talent, just that unique raw talent, that Walter Payton, Jim Brown talent. This team is going to have to develop that, and it's important for next year. Detroit at least, at least be three and one. Or four and two again. And this is what I said to them about last year when they started. Because Dan Campbell started kind of slow the year before. They started one and six. And then they won the last six, seven games of the year to end up nine and seven and nine and eight. And then missed the playoffs. And this year they go 12 and five. It's a phenomenal thing. So I hope Dan Campbell doesn't give that. Kind of that Mr. Too Much Reality check. I hope he's not punishing the players for for dropping footballs. It's over. It is over. There's no reason to get mad about that. There's just no reason to get upset. So congratulations to Detroit Lions. Congratulations to the players. Congratulations to Dan Campbell. I hope I hope you guys have a good offseason. I hope you guys all all uh um have the re uh have this readjustment of focus coming into next year. And, and, and to tell you the truth, I, I will tell you this. What Detroit Lions really need is a couple other defensive line guys. And what I mean by that, I mean I don't think they should actually draft players for that position. I think they need to go to free agency. I really do. I think that would help out because you want players who have an experience in the playoffs. And that's kind of the thing that Troy needs to have more of these players, these backup players or these bench players that they've been in the playoffs. They may be not in their prime no more, but they can play a couple of plays, maybe play maybe 10 plays within a, within a game, especially for the defense. They need, they need to help Hutchison in the backfield. I think they really do. And I know that they got a couple good linebackers and, and, you know, they really do. But I think Hutchison just needs that extra body in there. He needs that extra help to just not be the only guy there. And need to tell you the truth, I mean, and I hope at this point he's going into his third year. So he's got one more year in his contract, I believe so. But this is the time when the players have to take the role of the team. And what I mean by that is that Dan Campbell can no longer always say grit and being tough and this is what we got to do and all this. Because you know what? That's going to wear off real soon, real quick and to a certain point if your team starts losing again. So now Detroit is actually going to have to have guys in the locker room to motivate the players, to put the team back together, 
to get the guys go back and to get the guys to refocus. And so as this team matures, you're going to have to have players who are mature, who've been in the playoffs, who've been there. Like, look, guys, I'm a free agent. This is why I'm here. I'm here to help you guys win a championship. And and this is where a couple of the guys who are on the team from this year going to next year are going to have to step in and say, hey, only player meeting today. We're only going to talk about what we need to do. We're not going to have the coaches in there. We're going to talk about what we need. So you're going to have to find the alpha players on the team to take charge. And I don't know if it's Jerry Goff. I don't know if it's Montgomery. I don't know if it's Gibbs. Gibbs is in his second year, so it probably won't be Gibbs. I don't know. It could be St. Brown. It could be an offensive line guy. It could be Hutchinson on the football on the defensive line or the defense side of the field. Whoever that's going to be is going to have to be that alpha male. That guy that when Dan Campbell can't say enough or too much or he can't say anything else, you're going to have to get that player who's an alpha player on that team. And it's just a process that we all have to do in the real world. There's going to be an alpha person in the in in the, in management. There's going to be an alpha person in the in the group in the workplace. There just is. And I'm not going to get into the workplace because I'm going to lose you guys in the heartbeat if I start talking like that. Okay, so there you go, folks. Congratulations, Detroit. I hope you guys have a good off season. Uh, we uh, we love you. Uh, let's not make it just a one done thing. Let's not let's not be uh I, I don't be scared to to come out strong next year. This is your team, Dan Campbell. This is your team. This is your team with Hutchinson and Jared Goff. This is your guys' team. This is your this is your baby. This is your project. This is what you guys got signed to do. This is what you guys are for. Okay. Um. So, <clears throat> I'm going to go to the next subject, Detroit Pistons. As I get my drink of water, please excuse me. Because I'm losing my breath here, you know what I mean? So, I made a Reddit post. You can find me on Reddit on Crazy Dre Podcast Show. And, uh, Put a parlay together for the Pistons, and one of the guys on the on the, my parlay was uh, uh, Kay Cunningham. And Kay Cunningham played one game and then last minute scratch off against the Thunder, I think. And this is where uh, 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 Duran, Jalen Duran, scored twenty two points and twenty two and twenty rebounds, and Detroit won. Detroit won uh, two out of the last four games or three games, all right? But the post I put on Detroit Pistons is that they need to, uh, they need to uh, trade Kay Cunningham. And people on Detroit Pistons Reddit just went off on me. They just went crazy. They're like, you're stupid. I can't believe I'm reading this dumb intellect or un, uh, intellectual, not intellectual uh, comment. And this is why I said this. 
Kay Cunningham is on his third years of contract, the four years of his contract. So he's got one more year on his contract next year. He's always hurt. Probably the best athlete on that team, but he's always hurt. So you might as well count your losses with Kay Cunningham and let him get better somewhere else. Trade him to a contender team, put him on the bench, and he'll be fine. Okay? But this way, you get that big, huge contract out of the way. Okay? A huge contract. And also, you get draft picks out of that play. But you can't get draft picks because he's not worth anything if he's always hurt. But you could get something out of him, maybe the second or third round draft pick. Or a future draft pick. Maybe not for next year and the following year, but maybe 2026 or 27 for a number one draft pick. But the reason why Kay Cunningham and, and Ivy are too similar. The difference is that when Ivy's on the court, he sometimes gives up the ball or turnovers the ball. And so does Kay, Kay Cunningham. But one thing about Kay Cunningham that sometimes he's a better isolated player and can score anytime he wants. So what's happening for Detroit is that is that when Kay gets the ball and when he's on the court, it becomes a lot of one-on-one basketball. The rest of the team watches Kay Cunningham make a move and they watch him and they don't go for the rebound. They really don't. With Ivy, Ivy is not that good of a shooter yet. He's decent. They're both are shooting about 48% on the court. 44, 48%. Both of them, Cade and Ivy. The difference between Ivy, though, he sometimes distributes the ball a little bit more than, than Cade does. When I watch the Pistons, okay, that's just my opinion. I may be wrong, so don't get all butthurt about it, folks. I could be wrong. I never said I was ever right all the time. So get over yourselves, okay? But some people think it's the Monty Williams thing. And that's why he couldn't, he, can't, he left the Suns and couldn't put that team together. And maybe it's his, his inability to understand subbing or, or to uh, rotate players in or not to rotate players in. Some people think he's the owner of Detroit Pistons. Probably is that too. But you could get a new head, you could get a new owner and a new GM, but you still have the same players. So I still think it's, I don't, I think the thing you guys realize is this. It doesn't help to have an injured player on your team that is supposed to be on the court 75% of the time during the games. And when you don't, and when that, what happens is when Cade and Ivy are on the same court, they play too much like each other, and they both need the ball at the same time. And you can't always play that uh, pick and roll game with two of those same type players. I do think that K does have a better outside shot at times. But 
you just can't have both those two players on the court at the same time. They both need the ball. They need to touch it. They need to either distribute it, the ball get up to assist it or to score. I I sometimes I think that um, uh, Ivy Ivy will. It, it sometimes when I see Ivy take shots, I sometimes think he he shoots, but he his his rotation or or his release point is a little off. Sometimes I think he doesn't need to jump as much to shoot the ball from the three point line. That's something that he might want to change. But that's something that that's meant, that might be something I'm looking at that I might be wrong as well. So I don't know if I'm wrong about that either. Okay. I could be totally wrong about that. But I do think that, you know, look, you're not going to get a new owner. Uh, and I think that if you do get to get a new GM, you know, you're going to have to find somebody, but who's got, who's that somebody? I'm, there's not a lot. I mean, LA is good. You know, I just don't know a lot of GMs out there for the NBA. Maybe the Philadelphia's GM, maybe you put him in charge, but I don't know too much about that. But to to get rid of Monty Williams off his first year, I think would be stupid. I think that I think that I think that you have to consider you're never going to get the owner to sell the team, so he's never going to change. So. The only way that I could tell you the truth is you have to start trading players. And I think Cade Cunningham is that guy right now. I mean, I don't want him to go, but I don't know why would you keep somebody that's always hurt. And I get it. All these Reddit kids and all these Reddit bullshitters, they're always like, oh, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. But Cade, Cade's the man. He's my hero. Yeah, he might be your hero. But you got to remember... Detroit Pistons had Andrea Danley. And Andrea Danley wanted the ball just as much as Isaiah Thomas. And Andrea Danley thought that he should be the bigger, better all-star than Isaiah Thomas. But Isaiah Thomas was drafted to that team, and then we signed Andrea Danley off a free agent. So you got to remember that, that there's your scenario again for Detroit. And, he, and some people don't think that Ivy will ever really develop to be that elite player. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm hoping too much about this kid. But I think, that, I think that Ivy would be a good example of slowing the game down. And he needs to slow the game down for himself and just let the game come to him. Cade Cunningham does that pretty well. Let's the game come to him at times. But when he needs the players to hit a three-pointer or certain shots during the game, they don't do it so well. But, again, that's because of the chemistry of that team that he's not playing every night or almost every night. I think if, I really do think if Kay Cunningham was on the court more every game and he was not hurt, I think that team would have been a lot better. I think that team would have at least have won 22 games already this year. But I don't know how you cannot disagree with me when I say you should trade Cade Cunningham now. Get something for what he's worth. And, you know, a team like L.A. or a team like the Clippers or the Lakers or even Philadelphia, 
if they can develop him or help him not get hurt, that'd be great. But I don't think it's going to fill. I think if you let Kay Cunningham play in Detroit, and then and then when he's a free agent, he's going to leave. He's probably going to leave. Or we're going to pay him way too much money for him to play part-time basketball. I really do think that may happen. And if that does happen, that's not that's not being proactive for Detroit. Count your losses. You just have to understand the business of basketball. Let him go back home to his hometown. Let us get a couple draft picks and go from there. And you know what? Uh, wish him the best of luck. You know what? In Detroit, a lot of people get mad at me because Detroit, Detroit's giving up a lot of guys that are on championship teams like Milwaukee Bucks. But um, I don't know what to tell you. I just don't know what to tell you. I, th- I think it's just, unfortunately, it just didn't work out with Cade. So I think it's time to move on. And I wish I wish more that the owner of Detroit Pistons would sell the team before we s- trade Kay Cunningham. Because Detroit Pistons owner sells the team and someone buys it and then gets a new GM, you could probably save Kay Cunningham from being traded. But I think that's a little far-fetched from below. So... It's the 42nd minute going on. I like to thank everyone that's listened to my podcast, the Crazy Dre Podcast Show. Um, I'm going to try to be on here on Thursday with Parlay Sean. We might talk about the uh, Super Bowl, maybe recap on the Baltimore Ravens and uh, Chiefs game. Uh, maybe talk a bit more about the Detroit Lions and uh, and uh, San Fran game. And uh, we'll go from there. So thank you for listening to the Crazy Dre Podcast Show. Uh, you can find me on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can find me on Podfriend. You can find me anywhere that you listen to your podcast. Peace, love, um, have a good week, and I'm out of here.